we preach a little earlier on Sundays, we have communion. If you will turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. You know, it was interesting this week. I was really struggling with this passage. And um, because I'm anxious to get on to chapter 11, I was beating myself up trying to cover the whole, uh, the whole of chapter 10 in one message. And uh, the Lord finally gave me better sense. And I decided to only preach on verses 1 through 3, which is a great text for communion. But I'm afraid I told a lie this morning. Not this morning, but the other day when I talked to Cindy. I said, yeah, I feel like these first three verses are something I can handle in 30 minutes or so. I said, but you know me. Well, you know me. So, but no, it, it's, it's an encouraging passage. It's an ap- appropriate passage as we um, see Christ in it for our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, I'm going to read just the first three verses, and then we will talk about it. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, have mercy on us. This is the very Word of God. And yet apart from Your help, we can do nothing with it. Your Spirit must attend, must accompany, must bless the preaching and the hearing of the Word. That's the very thing You promised to do. You command us as preachers to preach Your Word at all times, in its fullness. You command us as hearers to hear it as your word, to love and treasure it, to seek to live in its light. You lift high your Son in your word, the very centerpiece of all of the word of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We praise you this morning that you are glorious that you are good, that you are merciful, that you will save and sanctify every soul given to your Son before the foundation of the world. We trust that you will bless the preaching of your word, and we cry out for that. Help me to preach it. Help me to get out of the way. Just minister your word to your people and help us to hear it with faith and with full purpose of joyful obedience joyful embracing, joyful celebration of who you are and what you've done for us. Bless us and work in us and through us. We pray, we give you praise, we trust you for it. In the holy name of Jesus, our merciful Lord and Savior. Amen. He came from somewhere back in her long ago. The sentimental fool don't see trying hard to recreate what had yet to be created once in her life. 
She musters a smile for his nostalgic tale, never coming near what he wanted to say, only to realize it never really was. She had a place in his life. He never made her think twice. As he arises to her apology, anybody else would surely know. He's watching her go. But what a fool believes he sees. No wise man has the power to reason away. What seems to be is always better than nothing. And nothing at all keeps sending him. Where'd that come from? Ah, very good. Doobie Brothers. What a fool believes. Took my title from that. What's the scenario? Two people meet. They had a relationship a long time ago. And for the guy, this was the best time in his life. He wishes he was back there. He's always looked back to that and, and thought about this person. And for the woman, eh, it was fun. It's over. Move on. The man makes a complete fool of himself, believing that he still has a shot. She is not interested. Love often makes a fool of a man or woman. What's the point? A fool believes what he wants to believe and acts as though that is real. No matter if it's not based in reality or if it's true, a fool's thoughts are self-focused. It's my world. And you're just living in it to serve me. See, we can be like that. And we, we see this constant tension and comparison between a fool and the wise or between folly and wisdom. You, you know, it's all through Proverbs. It's in here in Ecclesiastes. And Solomon is trying. He's preaching at the top of his lungs for us to not be a fool, but to be wise. What do I mean by that? To see that this place we live is a fallen world. It's a temporary world. It will not last. It is vain, yes, but what is hevel? What is that word? Transient, temporary, can't sustain your joy. Not what you're supposed to look to as your home. So what Solomon has been doing is shaking us, getting us to realize who we are and where we live so that we not just be miserable. Many people don't want to read Ecclesiastes because they think it's just somebody miserable. No, he's saying don't be miserable. Don't find your joy here. Your purpose is here. It's mission for Christ. To live for Him. But look above the sun to the God who reigns. And another topic we see over and over and over in Ecclesiastes is the fear of the Lord. Looking to the Lord. Looking to Him. Letting Him define our person in our circumstances, knowing that this is temporary. If I gain the whole world and lose my soul, I've benefited nothing. You know, the verses we've looked at. So Solomon is telling us, look above the sun, fear God, trust Him, love Him, delight in Him. That hope will never let you down. Whatever hope you place here will let you down. It's not that there's never any enjoyment. It's not that there's never any pleasure. Not that anything like that. But it's fleeting. It's temporary. It's passing. And the more you try to look here for your joy, the more you'll spend your time looking back as youth fades away. Be careful. This is not your home. Don't believe what you want to believe. Believe what is true. 
and to the extent that your belief doesn't match up with what is true, repent. Change that mind. Change that mindset. This section in chapter 10 is an interesting little break that we've come to as Solomon is is just cycling us through death coming to all, injustice, suffering, wickedness, here. We all die. There's hope. We look above the sun to the Lord and we'll finish with that as well. We've seen it a number of times. But this section is just a, a collection of Proverbs intended to consolidate wisdom for everyday life. So you're going to see a lot. And chapter 10 looks a lot like the book of Proverbs. Be wise, not foolish. Here's what wisdom looks like. Here's what foolishness looks like. Repent of foolishness. Be wise, right? Love God and, and keep His commandments for that's the purpose of our lives. But this is a collection of practical wisdom in chapter 10. And I, I broke it down into topics and there's, there's some definite topics in chapter 10, but I decided to start with verses 1 through 3 this morning because 1 through 3 point us down deep into our hearts. Point us to our hearts, to our soul, to the center of our being so that we can look there first and then flow out from there. This is a section dealing with the mind. And you all know that the battle is for your mind. Because what your mind embraces, your body will demonstrate. Your actions will demonstrate. It's a convicting thing to think about sometimes that my life shows what I love and treasure. Right? It is convicting. It should be. And some of that will come today. But this fallen world is a place infested with foolish thinking. This fallen world is characterized by foolish thinking. It is a symptom of life here. We were born with foolish thinking. And Lord willing, someday we come to Christ and God begins to transform us and deliver us from that foolish thinking. And a lot of times, as when we come to faith, well, not a lot of times, all the time, we drag a lot of foolishness in with remaining sin and remaining thought patterns. We drag that in with us. And sometimes we try real hard to hold on to it. The battle of the, is for your mind. If the enemy can get your mind, he takes your life. What your mind is filled with is what your life will be filled with. And the main point from this text, and you might have been saying, how in the world is this good for a communion? Well, because it points us to Jesus. We all fail here. It points us to Jesus. But the main point is look to Jesus continually so that you will fear, number one, fear foolish thinking, And number two, embrace wise thinking. Christ has purchased that repentance for you to deliver you from foolishness that is bound up in the heart of a child. Parents, can you relate to that? Not just children, though. Some people never grow out of it. So look to Jesus continually that you might fear foolish thinking and embrace wise thinking. Look look first at fear foolish thinking in verses 1 to 3. I'm going to do just a tad of review before we dig into this. Do you remember... What wisdom is. I'll summarize it like this this time. Wisdom is God's first, God-focused, word-shaped thinking. Because the Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who don't fear the Lord don't have wisdom. 
being created in the image of God, we still get things right sometimes, but blind squirrel find a nut, you know the story. Wisdom is God-first, God-focused, word-shaped thinking. It's me being focused on what pleases God first and primarily. Man, this will set you free from so much. I'm so tired this morning. Should I go to, to worship? <laughs> yes. Why? He's worthy. And He's called you, indeed commanded you. It will help you. I wonder if I should marry this person who's not a believer. No. Please. I don't want to counsel that. Oh, but I'll, he'll get saved. Well, wait till he does. Let's wait till he does. And we see it in his life. Word shape, God shape. How can I best live for his glory? Thinking his thoughts after them, after him. That's how he made us. Our creator made us to think his thoughts after him, to have this shape our hearts and lives. You know, heart is not just, in the Bible, not just the seed of feeling and emotion. Right? The Bible speaks of thinking in our hearts. It's the center of our being. It's the core of our being. Certainly we have emotions. But it's not like a Western thought of this mind and heart. Uh, No. That's not a way to biblically think. How do I best live for His glory? How do I best glorify Him? Wisdom is being filled with His Word so that I think His thoughts after Him. That my mind being transformed by the Word of God so that I then know what is the will of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Right? Cornelius Van Til. I would encourage you to read him with an interpreter. It's pretty dense English sometimes, but it's great stuff. Once you get what he's saying, it's very simple. But he says this, It is impossible for the mind uh, of man to function, insert properly. It's impossible for the mind of man to function properly except in an atmosphere of revelation. So wisdom is embracing of God, submitting to God, being filled with thoughts of Him, being dedicated to His glory, thinking His thoughts after Him. So then what is folly? What is foolishness? Foolishness is self-first thinking. Looking here first to make my decisions. What pleases me? How can I best live to make me happy? It's flesh-shaped thinking. Deciding for myself what is right and wrong. Isn't that exactly what happened in the garden? When Adam and Eve moved away from trusting God, listened to the evil one, and started to be their own moral authority. See, I'll do what God says when it lines up with what I believe and want. But like a cafeteria, I pick the stuff I like out of the Word and leave off the rest. So, very simply, wisdom is God first, foolishness is me first. And foolishness is a rejection of God's moral authority. In the Word. I'll have Him as Savior, man. Who won't take a ticket to heaven? Oh, I'll repeat a little prayer after you. That's no big deal. Just don't mess with my life. Don't don't forget, preacher, that day I walked the aisle and and prayed that prayer and shook your hand. I I know I'm living like hell now, but I'm, I'm a believer based on that. No, you're not. No, you're not. 
you might be a severely backslidden believer, but odds are if you persist in that, you, whatever that was, it wasn't real. God first thinking. God focused thinking is wisdom. Self first thinking is folly. That string's probably bothering some of y'all. I'll put it in my pocket. The irony is, it's only in being God first in our thinking that we find true and lasting joy and happiness. Because that's what we're created for. You were created for joy, you were created for happiness. We just tend to look for it in the, long, in the wrong place. Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. He's right. Now legalism, God not glorified in legalism. Do more, try harder. No. Just commands. No. When we are self-first, we forfeit all potential of lasting joy and happiness. Can you feel it? Solomon's been shaking us by the shoulder. Wake up. Know where you live. Know why you're here. Know what the dangers are. Your flesh, the world, and the devil are all trying to fool you. And some of us give in far too easily. Fear foolish thinking. First, because it dishonors God. Second, because it is dangerous. Dangerous. Now look at the text. Look back at verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Make it stink. Beautiful, beautiful perfume. Put a few dead flies in it and let them stay there for a while. Cindy's wrinkling her face. Yeah. It'll start to stink. Death gives off a stench, doesn't it? Not an aroma. We don't call it. It's a stench. It stinks. And just as dead flies in great perfume will ruin it, that's what he's saying here. Just as that happens, so. See that little word so in your English translation? So, it's connecting. A little folly outweighs great wisdom and honor. Or a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Folly is always corrosive. To your spiritual health. Foolishness is always corrosive. Self first is always corrosive. Like leaven, a little folly, if not checked, leavens the whole lump. Wisdom gets pushed out. Sin is birthed in thought and then in deed. Picture your mind as a tent. And you're off somewhere camping where there's a lot of poisonous snakes who tend to roam at night. And before you go to bed, what might you do with that tent? You're going to zip that thing up tight, aren't you? Really tight. Check it twice. Make sure. Why? Because you know good and well if a snake can get his head in the crack, he can come all the way in. You ever seen that? If a snake can get his head in, he's in. And he's not in for your good. So 
See, our mind is like that. And folly is always probing, looking for the crack so that it can enter in. And when that snake comes in, if you start petting it, well, you're going to get what you deserve, right? If it does get its head in the tent, what should we do? Cut it off. Foolish thoughts are always looking, some reside there. We're seeking to root them out. But if in this picture, they're seeking to root their way in and destroy what is there. Often, a little bit of folly can overpower great wisdom. How many great men, because of one slip, have been destroyed? Or great women. I mean, the, the examples are myriad, but sin always starts in little bitty steps. You know, people having an affair. I just don't know how that happened. We didn't mean for it to happen. No, but you didn't cut that snake's head off when it picked its head through the door, did you? One little step, baby step at a time, and before you know it, oh my goodness. Be radical with foolishness. By God's word, because you love God, because of His grace, cut the head off that snake. And think about this guy who is writing. The wisest human being who ever lived. What ended up happening in his life? He just about violated everything God said a king shouldn't do. He began to entertain a little folly. And it manifested itself in 300 wives and 700 concubines and idolatry that he got from them. How about David? There's another song for you. Just one look. That's all it took. And he had to have her. And the wisdom got pushed out of the way. And it took David, a man after God's own heart, to murder. Adultery, murder. But praise God, he repented. See, the battle is for your mind and foolishness is seeking to enter in. And to a large extent, it's already there. We need God to root it out. I don't want to make you squeamish, but your tent's already full of snakes. This is how we get them out. The Spirit applying the Word of God and, and being willing to have those thoughts replaced with godly thoughts. And presented with the truth sometimes. People will say, well, I don't believe that. I try to be nice. I I don't care. Repent. Believe that. It's God's truth. Christ's resurrection proves it. If you want to look somewhere, you will answer for it. You will stand before God someday. And your life will be compared to this Word. And yes, in our justification and salvation, we fall short. So we're convicted and repent and we turn to Christ and receive Him as our Savior. On the basis of Christ, we are justified. But there's a thing also called sanctification where God begins to root out the foolishness to make us look like Christ. And He doesn't give the first without giving the second. So if you're not concerned about sin, you don't know Him. Or you're very temporarily backslidden, which should scare you. 
But the battle is for your mind, just like a a fly in, in great perfume that ruins it. A little folly ruins great wisdom and honor. Many preachers have been preaching while they're fooling around. And I don't understand that. I know it could happen, but I don't understand it. The battle is for your mind. And you don't get to choose whether or not you're fighting this battle. Hear me. You're in it. You're on the battlefield. Every day you're on the battlefield. I don't feel like fighting today. Okay, take that to Jesus. Because He's there to make His power perfect in our weakness. His grace is sufficient. Guys who who are trained for this and you're in the heat of battle... uh, Maybe you're out in a foxhole or something and you decide that day, well, I don't feel like doing this today. I'm just going to walk around and enjoy creation. (laughs) You're going to meet the Lord if you take that attitude in the heat of battle. See, we don't fight. We don't think we should fight. We don't think we have to fight. Peter says, make every effort. And we say, eh, that's legalism. No, it's life. The battle is for your mind. Look what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11.3. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. He still is cunning. Your thoughts, look, your thoughts will be led astray. See where it starts? Your heart. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure pure devotion to Christ. Paul is saying, based on the stuff he's seeing going on in the Corinthian church, and that not being honoring to God and not really lining up, but he's saying, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid that your thoughts are being taken captive by other than Christ. Wake up. Listen to me. This is God's Word. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm afraid that snake's getting his head in the tent and you're not cutting it off, you're embracing it. But see, the battle is for the mind and what Paul feared first and foremost was thought change. See, Christianity, growth in grace, Bible, all of this, it's not outside in. It's not work hard and then it's inside out. Transformation of heart leads to transformation in life in both ways. Guard your heart with all diligence, the scriptures say, because it folly is corrosive and it seeks to put its head in. Look at verse 2 protection of truth. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So, by all means, be conservative in your politics. I saw a lot of that kind of stuff posted on Facebook. See, it's right. That's funny, but that's not what it is talking about. I'm sorry. The right hand is a Hebrew idiom for a place of protection. And what is that place of protection? Wisdom. 
So to be having man, notice it says man's heart. A wise man's heart. This is what's true of a wise person's heart, that it is inclined toward the right. It is inclined toward the place of protection. It is inclined towards wisdom. You want to know whether or not you're wise? Well, if you are wise, you will be inclined toward wisdom. You will be embracing of and seeking to practice God's wisdom and rejecting what is opposed to His wisdom. The wise, this is saying the wise are led in the right direction. It's a light to our path. You remember, I mean, so many, I could be here for three hours with all the verses we could quote. It leads us in the right direction. God and His truth. What did Jesus say? Sanctify them by their feelings. Because their feelings are true. Sanctify them by their desires because their desires are true. Tell them to follow their heart. That might be good for Jiminy Cricket, but that's really bad theology. Sanctify them by your word because your word is true. And that's where your protection is. And that's where you find the Lord a strong tower and a deliverer. He'll protect your faith. He will grow your faith. He doesn't promise to keep you comfortable. He doesn't promise that nothing in life's going to spark and go bad. But He promises to use it all to grow you and to be with you in it. Gospel makes life harder in a lot of ways. I'll be real with you. But it's worth it. Makes it easier in a lot of ways, too, knowing that eternity is settled. I have eternal life now. Why? Because I'm good? No. By God's grace, I'm trusting in His Son. And the more I press into that and press into His Word, the more I'm dwelling in and then will be walking in wisdom. The wise man's heart inclines him to the left, but the fool's heart to the... To, wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but the fool's heart to the left. I'm just... Which way are you inclined? Are you inclined toward this or away from it? Just, oh, it's okay. Just look at your dashboard. Look at the dashboard of your heart. Are there lights on? Don't put tape over them. That generally doesn't work out well. Listen to it. Which direction is your heart inclined? Is it toward Christ? Toward His Word? Being sanctified by His truth? Or not? Maybe you don't even pick this up. You have no desire for this. The only time you read it is out of guilt because your spouse won't leave you alone or your parents won't leave you alone. That's not, that doesn't mean, that's a bad sign. Where are you inclined? To the right, to the wisdom, to the place of protection, or to flesh, the world, the devil? Verse 3. When a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone, he's a fool. This doesn't mean everybody that's foolish is walking down the road going, I'm a fool, I'm a fool, I'm a fool, with their mouth. But you know what? They are doing that with their life. Because walk is a picture of life. Conversation, a picture of how we live. So a fool lives in a way, when examined by this, it shows him to be what he is, or her to be what she is.
Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. What? Wisdom. This. This. And he shows himself to be a fool. Foolish thinking. Thinking that is not God-focused. Thoughts. Thinking that his thoughts. They're not thinking his thoughts after him. They're not seeking to please him in their thoughts and their words and their deeds. Foolish thinking leads to foolish living. Doing what is right in your own eyes. What feels right. And foolish thinking is also defining yourself by what you feel rather than what God says, your Creator. Feel what you want to. God will hold you accountable to His Word. This defines you. Your feelings don't. Your feelings can be awfully confused sometimes and feel very real. And be a delusion. And there's so much, so many rabbits I could chase, but I'll let you apply that. A fool shows himself to be a fool by his actions, actions that dishonor God. He takes the wrong road and will not heed sound direction. A fool won't listen. Now, he might stand before you while you're trying to help him and smile and nod and say, okay. He might even read, when, but the life doesn't change. Life doesn't change. Many times in things like pastoral counseling, we, we just want somebody to fix us. We want therapy. Lay me down, ratchet around, fix me so that I'll be better. That's not how this works. Not the therapeutic model. Sanctification is sanctification in the truth. And when, you're, when you in your marriage or any other aspect of your life are not living in line with this truth, what you have to do is replace that foolishness with truth and begin to live in light of that truth what Peter says make every effort think about going to the gym if you go to the Swansboro gym there's a place in the front where you can just sit there's some chairs in there and you can go every day and sit in those chairs and you won't grow well you won't get in shape Until you start making every effort. What does that mean? Get out there and suffer a little bit. Enter in. Struggle. Struggle to establish new habits. Struggle to replace flab with firm. Same thing mentally. We, we just want to go sit. I went to church and nothing changed. Well, yeah, did you, did you take notes about what was said? Did you remember what you were taught? Did you go home and think and talk about it? Or 30 minutes after the cheeseburger, can you even remember it? Your Bible reading, same thing. It doesn't do you any good to sit down and go, praise God, bless me, off I go. What'd you read? Hmm, don't know. Replacement. A fool's life. Foolish thinking leads to foolish living, living against the Word of God. And here, see, who sees that? How, who, who sees that the fool is lacking sense and saying he's a fool? Well, it's the wise that are able to see that. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, I, if I want to know what you believe, I look at your life. Because your actions, and this is not him anymore, because your actions show what you believe. Your words show what you believe. Your thoughts. Now, we do have to battle. Right? 
Listen, the question this morning is, are you indulging in foolishness? And really, the better question is, where are you indulging in foolishness? Where are your sacred cows that you won't let God get a hold of? What areas of your life have you boxed God out? Now, I'll handle this one. I'll give you all of these. This one might. If you're one who won't take direction from the Word, listen to me. Wake up if you hadn't been awake till now. And you're probably going to get mad at me if you hadn't been awake till now. If you are one who won't take direction from the Word, especially when it cuts across what you believe, you are what the Bible calls a fool. And your life shows it. Don't get mad at me. Well, I mean, you can if you want to. But I'm just trying to tell you what God's Word says. And I love you enough to do that. And you know what? God says repent. And you know what? He grants what He commands. He will enable and empower you to make every effort and to grow. What did you come in this morning? We're celebrating the Lord's Supper. What did you come in this morning through that door with where you thought, God, I want to focus here as I take the Lord's Supper and I want you to... to uh, mortify this or kill it and replace it with this? What unrighteousness do you want to see God grow you out of and therefore the flip side of that? What do you need to put off and put on? Were we even thinking about that when we came in this morning? Where are you struggling to be wise? We need to take it to Jesus. Point two, I'll move through this quickly. Embrace wise thinking. This is the anti, in the foolishness part, it's the anti-example of Christ. And in the wisdom part, he is the, pro, the first and highest in, uh, example of wise thinking. And I'm basically just going to read this to you, make a couple of comments. But look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You know what that stands for. Some of y'all are tired of hearing it, but if you ever want to remember that order, Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But look in chapter 2. As Paul calls them to be gospel-centered and to live for Jesus and to be shaped by His truth. This is a joyful people who are participating in ministry and growing in grace. And he says this in chapter 2 and verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and there's all that, complete my joy by being of the same mind. See, he goes straight for the mind. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Christ. Gospel. That's shaping us. Word. Now watch this. Here's the hard part. Because what really knowing God should lead to humility and self-sacrifice. Not pride. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. Do nothing from rivalry, rivalry, I turned into Elmer Fudd. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Now watch, flip side of that. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. God, certainly, and then others more significant than yourselves. You're not thinking about that if that's not convicting. 
Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So it's not that you become lazy to just take care of other people. Have this mind among you or in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's purchased it for you and you're in him. So by his spirit and his word, you have it. Who? Now watch how, watch how true wisdom was walked out in the life of Jesus. Self-sacrifice. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. His position, it doesn't mean he gave up his deity, right? He took on humanity. Whole nother sermon. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, you could say further, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was willing to come and fully sacrifice Himself for us. God and man to reconcile us, living under His own law, fulfilling all righteousness, keeping His law in thought, word, and deed, deserving only blessing. He was willing to then take our guilt and die a cruel death on that cross. Probably the most cruel death ever invented, yet the physical suffering was light in comparison to the wrath poured out on Him on that cross. He took our hell upon Himself and because He was God and man, He could drink that cup dry and He could say before He left the cross. So He didn't go to hell and pay any penalty to the devil. You don't owe the devil anything but wrath. From that cross He could say, to tell us died. It is finished. Christ was willing to be humiliated for us to save us, to pay the penalty for our sin. And He was raised from the grave. Look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you notice? Every knee. Heaven and earth, under the earth, every tongue. There's not a myriad of saviors among whom Jesus is one. He is the only one. And every knee will bow. Bow your knee now in repentance and faith instead of then in judgment. See, Jesus is the perfect example of wise thinking. Others focused, God first, then my brothers and sisters, then my neighbor. He put off all selfish, all, all selfishness, all, not that he had any. You see, what I mean? he never had any. All self-interest, all self-focus. He counted others more significant than himself. Look, didn't look to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Our actions, hear me, our actions and our words demonstrate whether or not we're following him. I can have my doctrine nailed to the T. And if I'm cutting with my words, I'm not following Him. That's foolishness. If my opinion is more important than your comfort and growth and grace, then I've stepped up onto some sort of throne. Not, the, not that opinions are not important, especially if we're rightly standing in God's Word, but even then we do it in a, in a way of gentleness. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be humble and gentle. That the Lord may perhaps grant repentance. 
Our actions and our words consider whether or not they glorify God. So you can be all right and all wrong at the same time in the way we present it. If you want to test your words, go home and memorize Ephesians 4.29. No corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Only that which is good for edification and builds up the hearer. Sometimes it's better just to be quiet than to say something. Sometimes you know what you say might be true, right? Is it important? And will it build that person up? Are they ready for it? Maybe they're just not ready to hear it. Christ doesn't dump the truck on us at one time with our sins. Will my words and my actions communicate grace and build others up? All of them. Yes, all of them. We never get a pass for a temper fit. We never get a pass for harsh words. We never get a pass for self-interest. All of it is to be wisdom and glorifying God. What did Jesus say to us? Deny yourself. Take up His cross and follow Him. Wisdom in its essence is self-denial. Others focused for the building up of those around me, for the glory of my God who has saved me. There are hills to die on, but they are relatively few in comparison to the hills that we are all willing to die on sometimes. Be careful. Look to Christ the perfect embodiment of wisdom. And we're helping you do that with our reading plan because we're going to read through the four Gospels four times. We're going to see what wisdom walking looks like. And it's going to surprise us a lot of times. But how do we apply this? I'm going to go in reverse order right quick and I'm done. See, I couldn't do it in 30 minutes if I tried. Number one, stand back in awe of Jesus' love for you. The fact that He would leave the throne, come and be humiliated, die a cruel death and take the punishment that we deserve upon himself and drink that cup dry and be raised from the grave. Being, if, we're, if we've lost our all, we're in trouble. If we're not amazed by grace, we're in trouble. If we're not wanting to write the hymn all over again that John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a pretty good person like me. A wretch! If, listen, that's the other problem. If you don't see yourself as a wretch apart from Christ, you don't understand. You don't understand. Stand back in awe of Jesus. Trust Him and Him alone for salvation. Love Him in response to His love. And let His love fill you with joy and gratitude such that you reciprocate. He said, he said, if, you love, he said if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, obviously you have to know them to keep them. So we, if we love Him, we'll be filling our heart with His Word so that we can joyfully walk with Him and honor and glorify Him. But stand back in awe of Him. Marinate in the Gospel every day. Be sure you're rooted and grounded in God's grace and know that that is your only hope. And then stand back and look at your life. From a Gospel position, stand back and look at your life. Your words and your deeds, what do you see? Are you living in joyful and growing submission to God? Are you walking in wisdom or are you living a foolish lifestyle? 
And if we're thinking all of if we're a Christian now, if we're a Christian and we're thinking, when I say, are you wise or are you foolish? You're going to say, uh-huh. Yes, because there's still remaining foolishness. There's remaining sin that needs to be rooted out. We, have, we all have much sin to confess here, but thankfully, number one, we have a, a Savior who's died to pay the penalty for that sin, who's purchased for us the same power that raised Him from the grave, who's given us the very Word of God so that we can know Him and know it and love Him and love it and walk growingly in it. Now go deeper though. Go deeper. Look at your thought life. I don't know which one of you this is, but I'm about to put on the screen one of you's thought life just for the past week. Stop. Don't run out. Would that freak you out? It would me. It should you. Where in our thought lives are we not being wise? What are your deepest desires? What if I could suddenly project it up on the screen? What would you not want people to see about your thought life? Why or why not? See, we all have room to apply Room to cut off the head of the snake. Room to remove the danger. Room to be more wise. If we love and trust Jesus because of His grace to us, we will want Him to, as the psalmist said, search our hearts. See if there's any wicked way in us. Forgive us and cleanse us and lead us in the way everlasting. So look to Jesus. Look at your life. Go all the way down to your heart. Now, before you die of discouragement, look back to Jesus. This very moment and every other moment, if you are trusting in Christ, if you are a child of God, His throne for you is a throne of grace. Hebrews 4. It's a place where we find mercy and help in our time of need. It's the place to which we should run and bow before and pour out our hearts. One of the things we should be pouring out is our grief and hatred of our sin in our desire to be free from it. Our grief and hatred of our foolishness in our desire to be free from it. Crying out for His forgiveness and receiving it. We don't have to wallow in misery. Receiving it. Trusting that we're forgiven, cleansed, and empowered. Again, same power that raised Him from the dead. Empowered to love His Word. To love Him. To be more filled with His wisdom. Walk in a way that better glorifies Him. Receive His mercy and grace and forgiveness and power. Purpose to grow in His strength. Purpose to root out all foolishness in thinking and acting. There are no shortcuts. Read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And my mind, my mind will be perfectly transformed when it is filled with this Word rightly understood in context with Jesus at the center. Every letter of it. So you can tell I have a long way to go. And bad news for you, you have a long way to go. But good news for you, you have a Savior who has died for your sins and been raised for you and reigns and will finish the work He's begun. But if you have no interest in what I'm talking about, you don't have a Savior. You're looking to yourself as Lord. You really want to live for self. And Solomon is telling us this morning that that's the foolish route. See, because God sacrificed His Son, He commands all people everywhere to repent. 
That's Acts 17, 30 and 31 if you want to go read it. Purpose new obedience. Because you are loved by Christ. Because you are rested in His grace. Because He has died for you and been raised from the grave. Love God and love one another. With love, root out foolishness. Because it is dangerous. Remember our song that we started with. What a fool believes. Remember what we said defines a fool. A fool believes what he wants to believe, no matter, what it, no matter if it is based in reality or truth or not. A fool's thoughts are self-focused. Repent of that. Look to Jesus. Rest in Jesus and His sacrifice. Pray. Strive to have a mind like His by having your mind filled with this Word because you love Him. And therefore you will have a life in thought and deed that looks more like Him. Be wise. Beware of foolishness. Beware of foolish thoughts and be wise. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, save and sanctify us. Those who don't know you this morning, maybe they think they do. Help them to see whether or not that profession is true. Are they being sanctified by your truth? Do they hate foolishness? Are they seeking to root it out? Are they trusting and resting in Christ and Christ alone? And those of us who know you, who by your grace are trusting and resting in Christ alone, help us to realize that while the work of justification is finished, the work of sanctification is ongoing. To know that we do need, as Peter said, to make every effort to replace the sin, to replace the foolishness, to replace the sinful thoughts with truth and true, joyful, loving obedience. To be filled with your word for your glory, knowing it's for our good because we are so greatly loved by our merciful and gracious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loves us and has brought salvation to us in the perfectly wise one who is Jesus. Have mercy on us, Lord. Give us hearts that love and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to transition to the Lord.